Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Because we are starting a new series today in the Gospels as we go forward towards Easter, and this series is called Reorienting and Renovating. Last week, my wife and I were not here. Uh, During Pastor's Appreciation Month in October, you all got us a trip to the Keys, and we had fun last week. Thank you for that. We had so much fun. But if you hopped on my Instagram or Facebook, you'll saw that there was one particular instance that was a little challenging. We, uh, we took a ferry from Key West out to Dry Tortuga Island, which is like two hours east. Uh, and as we were on that ferry, uh, the boat got rocked. Uh, I've never been on something like this. The, the boat was in swells, like six feet swells. And this big old ferry was going up and down and they warned us, um, stay in your seats and you might get sick. And about half the people on the boat got sick. It was like 125 people. Half the people, including myself, got sick. That's all I'll say. I won't go into any more detail. But it was completely disorienting. You know, when you're on the boat and like you're trying to take a step and the boat moves and all of a sudden you're like in some guy's lap, you know, by accident. Um, my wife just sat there the whole time. She was on Dramamine, but the whole, the whole two hours, she just oriented to straight ahead. She just looked straight ahead because she's like, if I look anywhere else, I'm going to be in trouble. And so the boat got rocked. We got disoriented and it, it was challenging. Um, the series is going to be a little bit like that because when we look at Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus is always comforting people. He's healing people. He's loving on people. And he also rocks the boat. It's not just with the religious leaders. Like anyone that comes into contact with Jesus gets somewhat disoriented by what Jesus does or by what Jesus says. See, Jesus is always deconstructing false forms of religion that people have. Jesus is always dismantling idols. Jesus is always even messing with who you think the good guys are and who you think the bad guys are. He, he does this for people personally, but then he's also disorienting in how people think about each other. Uh, last year, we did this study. Some of you were part of this book club that we did. We read a book by George Yancey called Beyond Racial Gridlock, Embracing Mutual Responsibility. And really, George answer, asked the question, Uh, which model is the best model for dealing with racism and racial reconciliation? And he really looks at four different models that have been used in our country uh, over the last hundred years. One model is colorblindness. Another model is white responsibility. A third model is called Anglo-conformity. And a fourth model is called multiculturalism. And I'm not going to get into each of those models, but what we found was, as we looked at the Gospels, as George unpacked the Gospels, Jesus really didn't fit in any of the models. It was like he embraced some things and yet disrupted others and disoriented things from each of those models because Jesus really doesn't fit in any category. He's always disorienting people in order that they can reorient on who he is so that he can renovate their hearts, their soul, and their lives. That's what this series is called reorienting and renovating. 
And when you do a renovation, it is not a small change. If you've ever had anything renovated, it's not some tiny religious tweak you make in our life. A renovation in a house, a spiritual renovation is massive. And Jesus, when he comes into contact with people, he's always renovating them and showing them who God is and what he's like in order that each person might come into a greater worship of God, a greater worship of Jesus. He does that as he reorients us personally and relationally. And today, we're gonna look at a story about Nicodemus in John chapter three, verse one through 21. Again, that's on page 1638, if you get a Bible from the back. And the title of the sermon is just called Christianity 101, God Basics. God Basics. When Jesus comes into contact with Nicodemus, it's gonna be completely disorienting for Nicodemus about how spirituality even works. Nicodemus is gonna get his boat rocked and Jesus is going to reorient him on himself and then begin to renovate him. So let me pray for us and then we're gonna read John 3, 1 through 21. Lord, we're here because we want you to change us because we wanna be more like you. We know that um, you are kind and you are good. And at the same time, to come into contact with you is to be changed by you. And so we pray this morning that your word would change us and that you would renovate our hearts and our lives and our words and our loves and our actions. And all God's people said, amen. Let's read this story. And as you read it, you'll, you'll hear about the middle of the passage, one of the most famous Bible verses in the entire Bible, and we'll get to that. But let's read John 3, 1 through 21. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, that's Jesus, at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit, do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everything born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then here's the verse. For, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. This is the word of God. I want you to imagine for just a moment that after the service, uh, Chevelle comes up to you and she says, hey, uh, we've lost somebody. We're, we're all looking for, and then she says your name. Like she's, she's talking to Mark and she says, we're looking for Mark or we're looking for Keith. But she says it to you and she says your name and you're like, wait, you're... You're confused because she said she's looking and everyone's looking for you. And you're kind of confused and you go, well, maybe there's someone else in the church with my name. I'll join the search party. So you start going around the back and looking and you're calling out your name, right? You're calling out your name because they've lost this person. And then all of a sudden, after you've been looking for 30 minutes, people turn to you and go, oh, there you are. And you're a little confused because you didn't know that you were lost. Something like that actually happened on a tour in Iceland. There was this tour bus uh, that took vacationers to this volcanic canyon in Iceland. And the people were given the freedom to get off the bus and go tour around. And there was one particular woman who knew that the time to be back on the bus was coming. So she went back to the bus early and she got changed and she found a bathroom and kind of freshened up. And then she got on the bus And because she had changed clothes and kind of freshened up, no one recognized her. And all of a sudden, the time came and passed that they were supposed to be on the bus, and everyone was looking for this one particular woman who was already on the bus. And she was confused because there she was. She wasn't lost. She was found. But she decided, oh, I guess they're looking for someone else. So she joined the search party and went around the volcanic canyon looking for herself. And hours passed and no one found her. It got dark and they continued the search. Midnight came and went. 3 a.m. hit and they were still looking for this lost person until someone turned around and just recognized this woman and said, oh, there you are. The whole time they had been looking for this woman who was not lost. There's some similarities between that and how Christian spirituality works. When we think about religion, when we think about spirituality, we tend to think about us looking for God. When in reality, one of the deepest truths about Christianity is that we're being looked for by God. Uh, We think we're on a search, and, and we are. But there's something deeper that Jesus gets at in this passage, and that's that God is actively pursuing us. He's looking for us. He's searching for us. That's really how Christianity works. That's really Christianity 101. That's really the basics of God is that Christianity isn't just a search by you for something up there. Rather, it is a search for you by God. Nicodemus 
comes searching out Jesus in the night. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which means he's a teacher of the law, but he's also a ruler of the Jews, which means he's part of a, a group called the Sanhedrin. So he's very important guy in the Jewish community. He knows his stuff. He knows his Old Testament. He knows about God, but he's confused because he's probably just seen Jesus do some miracles, the wedding at Cana. He's probably seen him do the, turn the water into wine. And so he comes to Jesus and says, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs unless God were hit with him. I, I know some things, Jesus. I know some things spiritually. Yet at the same time, because Nicodemus is a little scared, he comes at night through the empty streets of Jerusalem searching for Jesus. Jesus responds to him in verse three and four, and he says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he can't see, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Now that phrase born again, we Christians use that a lot. In the original Greek, it says both born again and also says born from above, which sometimes I think is actually more helpful to understand that something happens in a person when, when God invades them from heaven to earth and, and comes in and causes them to be born again or, or born from above. In fact, Jesus says, unless that happens, you can't see anything that God is doing in the world. And Nicodemus is like, what? <laughs> what are you saying? This doesn't make any sense. Nicodemus is totally disoriented by what Jesus says about spirituality. And I mean, here is Nicodemus asking questions. He's searching, he's looking, and even in the questions he's having, he's being driven to Jesus at night. But here's the thing. Nicodemus thinks that spirituality is primarily about searching upwards. It's about looking upwards to God, where Jesus is saying there's something that's even more primary than that, and it's God looking downward at us. It's God searching for us. It's more like God happening to you than just getting a little religion around you. I wanna say that again, what Jesus is trying to distinguish is the difference between getting a little religion around you versus God happening to you. Human religion always relies on us to move towards God, on us making the first move, on us being the primary actor. But notice what Jesus says in verse five through eight. He says, listen, it's not even of human will. It's not by human power. You can't even see what God is doing unless God comes near and finds you. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of Spirit is Spirit. Go to the next one. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's almost as if Jesus is saying that finding God is more like the wind finding you. Finding God is not being able to see God and yet him opening your eyes. It's not by your own willpower, it's not by your own desire. In fact, it's by your desires being changed by God that God happens to you. 
It's interesting to think about this because in our culture, there's so much right now that talks about finding the divine in you. Like the answers are looking inward and searching and understanding yourself. And I think there's actually some great things that our culture is looking at in terms of self-awareness, understanding your story, understanding where the places in your life you feel shame. I'm, I'm not knocking that, but what Jesus is saying is completely different than finding the divine in you. What he's saying is the spiritual in you is kind of dead unless God comes and breathes life into your heart. So often we're confused when we get to know ourselves. For some reason, we think we've gotten to know God. We've turned religion into just getting to know the nuances of us. But Jesus is saying something different. Jesus is saying that spirituality happens when God happens to you. In fact, it's compared to being born again, to a new birth. Nicodemus hears this and he's completely thrown off. He says, how can these things be? Here's a spiritual man. He knows God, so to speak. And yet at the same time, he's completely disoriented by what Jesus says. But then I love what Jesus says right here in verse 10. He kind of teases him a bit. Nicodemus, are you, are you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? I, I, I love that. I, and I think what Jesus is getting at is not that he's created some new way to do spirituality, but rather he's fulfilling everything that God has always promised from the Old Testament. There's this great story from the book of Ezekiel about the Valley of Dry Bones where, where Ezekiel is taken into this valley and he sees this vision where there's just bones and bones and bones and there's absolutely no life in the valley and the, the bones are scorched white from the sun. But then God shows up and says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel wisely says, oh Lord, you know. <laughs> and the Lord tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and prophesy, and the breath, the wind will come. The Spirit of God will come and bring life to these dead bones. And Ezekiel does, and the Spirit of God comes and brings the bones back to life. Nicodemus, don't you remember that story? Jesus is referencing that when he talks about the wind blowing where it will. He's referencing the fact that spirituality doesn't start with us being alive and looking for God, but with us being dead and God breathing life into us. And then even more profoundly, this really is what Jesus has come to do, to bring the spirit of God and breathe life into spiritually dead people. One chapter before that story of dry bones is Ezekiel 36, where God talks about what he's going to do in the world. And this is one of those texts that's not just like a tiny text, it's a big text, which talks about God's purposes for his people and what his mission is and what he's about to do. We call it the passage about the new covenant. And the prophecy is this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I put a new spirit within you. 
and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you can go two more forward. One more. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. God is giving a prophecy that he will bring life where there is death. He will bring forgiveness where there is sin. He will take hearts that are hard against them and put the spirit of life in the people so that they want to obey. It's not just that they have to obey, but they want to obey their God. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you don't know these things? Have you read your Old Testament? This is the very thing that I've come to do. This is what God has talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years is that people are spiritually dead and need the spirit to come in and breathe life into them. And Nicodemus is still totally disoriented. But it's funny at that moment in Nicodemus's disorientation, everything that, God, that Jesus is talking about is actually happening to Nicodemus. Like in the midst of his questioning, in the midst of his not knowing which way's up, God is happening to Nicodemus because Jesus is sitting right in front of him. Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night to ask questions because he's searching, but the whole time God has been searching for him. I think that's helpful for us to realize if you're a Christian here and you kind of are living in a season of disorientation, you've got questions for God, you wonder why your life might be upside down. Part of the character of Jesus is he does to us what he's doing to Nicodemus. He disorients us. He rocks our boats. Because he, he, he wants to bring something out. He wants to show us how we don't know him as well as we think we do and reorient us on him. So what that means is sometimes even in your questions, in your pain, in your loss, Jesus is still working. Jesus is disorienting you in order that you might find him in a deeper way because his ultimate goal is to change you. It's to renovate you. Last year, we had two renovations in the homeless family. We renovated a part of our house and then we sold it and then we got a new house and we had to do some renovations there. And let me tell you, if you ever wanna feel out of control, have your house renovated. It is not quiet. It's not fun. It's loud. It's disruptive. It's violent even at times and you can't find your stuff and you step on tools and you're completely lost. And there's times where halfway through a renovation, you go, this doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. Who's the idiot who decided to do this? And then you realize you're that idiot. <laughs> but, but listen, just because things are disruptive, just because Jesus is causing you to ask questions doesn't mean he's not there. In fact, it probably means he's deeper in than you can even see. He's disrupting, he's disorienting so that you can reorient on him and be renovated in your life. That's what he's doing to Nicodemus right now. And it's going to be beautiful. If you, if you follow Nicodemus throughout the gospels, you'll see that he shows back up and he shows back up at the time of Jesus's death and he participates in burying Jesus. It's like he, he kind of gets it and he's more in. Jesus has done something with him. But if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, you're exploring spirituality, 
How about just encourage you to, to think about this? I mean, Christianity is not really about getting a little religion around you. It's rather about God happening to you, which is a spiritual miracle. This is something supernatural that's beyond your control. I'm reading this great book um, called Everything Sad Will Come Untrue. And the author's name is Daniel Nairi. And when he, he grew up in Iran, and he had an older sister, a mom and dad. And they went to London uh, some years ago when he was just a little boy. His sister was six, he might have been four. And when they got to London, they realized that his aunt was a Christian. And his family was totally resistant to anything of the faith. Uh, but they put his sister, his six-year-old sister, in a school um, with other people uh, in London. And she was made fun of for being from Iran. In fact, one little boy told her to stick her finger in a door jam and then slam the door on her finger. And I won't describe what happened, um, but she had to go to the hospital. And then she came home and she just went in her bedroom for two hours, this little six-year-old girl. Now, she had heard about Jesus because her aunt was a Christian, but two hours later, she came out of her bedroom and said, I know Jesus. Now, many of you, if you're, if you're a parent and your child said that, you would be pretty excited, but her mom was not excited because they had to go back to Iran, and it's illegal to be a Christian, or it was illegal to be a Christian at that time. In fact, they were, they were Muslims, but... When they went back, God continued to find this family. God happened to them in the midst of that mess. And eventually the mom, Sima, and the son, Daniel, became Christians themselves. And here's the wild thing. It got much more messy after that. People at work found out that the mom was a Christian and she lost her job. And then they had to flee Iran and they had to come to the United States. And it, it, it was a mess. But at the same time, God happened to them. Daniel says this about the spiritual miracle of knowing God through Jesus Christ. He says, miracles are absurd by definition. If they weren't, they'd just be odd things that happened, improbable things. But while miracles are possible, they aren't coincidence. They're knives that cut into our reality and they're messy and weird. Maybe even now, if you're not yet a Christian, maybe even now you feel like God is cutting into your reality. I don't know how he's doing it. I know that he wants you to know him, and I know that he wants you to believe in him. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Jesus says that Christianity doesn't really start out with a commitment to change, but rather a calling to believe in him. In verse 13, Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. There Jesus is talking about himself. He's almost using the same language of like born from above. And here he's saying, he's the one from above who comes down low. What Jesus is getting at is when God happens to people, people believe in Jesus. And when people believe in Jesus, it's because God's happened to people. And then Jesus goes on and tells us, well, what are we supposed to believe about him? In verse 14 and 15, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 
Again, Jesus is referenced in the Old Testament, this story from Numbers where the people rebelled against God and God sent these snakes to bite them. And the only way that they could be healed was that if a snake was held up on a bronze stick and the people looked to it and were healed. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be raised up, not as a, not as a snake on a bronze stick, but as a sinless God-man on a cross. And when you look to me, your sins will be forgiven. Sins past, present, and future will be forgiven. And Jesus says in verse 16 that he really is God's love and God's life. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Anyone who believes in Jesus, your sin is not held against you. Jesus is getting at that when God happens to people, people believe in Jesus. And when people believe in Jesus, that is God happening to them. So Jesus calls us to believe in him. Calls us to believe in him and let God find you. Look how he ends this passage. I can't help but think that's what he was getting at. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness. You see the lights moving into the darkness, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it. They hide from it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. I can't help but think of Adam and Eve in the garden when they were told not to eat from the fruit of the tree. And they did. And then they hid. They went from light in the darkness. They didn't want to be exposed. And yet God found them, right? God found them. He found them in their guilt. He found them in their shame. He went searching for them. I find that so many people don't want to be found because of guilt and shame. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.